Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart. Hello and welcome back to Building Sustainability. This is part two of conversation with Emily Reynolds. Uh, if you are coming straight in here, then maybe head to part one first. It's a bit more of an introduction. Uh, this one gets a bit more geeky and a bit more, bit more in depth. Uh, we talk about posture, uh, trowel technique, fermentation, lots about fermentation. Uh, we talk about floors, we talk about lime plaster. And I think there's lots of really fascinating cultural notes that come out of uh, this conversation. Just before the episode, just want to say, if you are enjoying this podcast and you want to support it, head on over to the Patreon site. There are now enough supporters that the the podcast is paying its own way um, in terms of outgoings for hosting and websites and all that sort of stuff. So thank you to everyone that's supporting. And uh, yeah, if you haven't checked it out already, you can head on over there and there's extra bits, extra interviews and the chance to add in your questions to the upcoming guests. Okay, enjoy the episode. See you at the end. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I was watching one of the videos on your blog uh, last night and one of the things I really noticed was um, the posture how everyone had incredible posture and yeah. and I'm thinking yeah. about you know how I don't see very many 70 year old plasterers in these in this country and I think Ooh. you know I, I think the the looking after your body is is massively neglected um do you think that's a, a fair 
Yeah, it might be. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think it's conscious. Right. The looking after your body thing. And I think that the older folks here have it easier than the younger because it's a sit on the floor culture. And so from a, and it's also like squatty potty culture, right? So from a younger age, people are using their knees more. People are using, um, I don't know, like not in this like cushy furniture. Nowadays, people are in cushy furniture. And so mm. you get, you know, younger people in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are like, oh, my lower back, and they complain. Um, but the older folks, like, you don't hear them complain that much, come to think of it. Um, yeah, they just keep going. Or they, like, bore through the pain. It's like, of course I'm in pain. Duh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. Of course I'm in pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But their posture is very good. And I, I would attribute it to just the, the floor-sitting culture, actually, more than okay. anything else, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I, I particularly noticed was uh, when people were plastering a wall, mm. uh, it was the, the sort of lateral movement that came from their legs rather than a yeah. twisting motion. Uh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to face your surface dead on and you're, gonna, you're not going to succeed in making a flat wall unless you keep your trowel in front of your body. And so you move your body to keep that trowel there and also keep a very loose wrist. That part's really hard for me um, because I didn't keep that in my, my mind when I first got my training and then went through my like eight years of switch off no no master um uh and it, it's a hard habit to get your body to go into once you start like being like oh material stiff brace the the, the shoulder brace the elbow you know like uh brace the wrist it's not that like everything is very very soft and so mm. um yeah there is that and that's that's the other beauty of being in these longer trainings because those very minute adjustments that you do with your your body and your movement and your wrist and your elbow and like how it all works together that's why it takes so long to learn it because there's so many little parts that you have to think about at first but then you have to let those things fall into your subconscious and all work together and that's kind of why they recommend starting young (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you're still <laughs> mentally supple and uh, able to absorb it all. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and take orders. <laughs> Just do what you're told, and you'll Very you'll be thankful for it in seventy years' time. Exactly. Well, maybe, maybe not that long, but <laughs> <laughs> you'll look back and you'll be thankful. Yeah. <laughs> so I noticed that you just uh, signed in to the Japanese Plastercraft. Facebook page. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you found it, which well, is Well, I'd actually been on there before, and then I deleted Facebook, and uh, and so it had gone, oh. and I've just, just come back again. So Okay. You're cleaning up the Facebook act. I am, yes. I now have a business profile, which uh, no friends, oh. <laughs> just, no friends. just in- interesting groups. <laughs> oh, cool. That's fun. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. So, so then you've, you've been familiar with it for a while then something I wanted to do while I was in the States or like it occurred to me would be great would be to have interviews. Cause we can do that on Facebook is, you know, have these live interviews and people can watch them live or watch them after they've been recorded. Um, and with the various, you know, masters that are on there, there's really incredible plasters that have, join that site i'm so thankful um, that they've been sharing their amazing knowledge and then also other members who find posts as they follow different japanese plasters that they share with the group and that's it's just so amazing to see everything that's gathered there and it would be wonderful to to be able to tap that knowledge a little bit deeper and and maybe get um you know like you do you ask people for for questions that they can uh, or that I could ask them and then translate. So if you ever wanted yeah. to do something here with that, I could I could try to very much it. so. Yeah, let's make that happen. Okay, deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, please. Super good. Um, excellent. Well, yeah, because I was I just watched uh, in in sort of preparation for chatting to you. I was watching. Excuse my pronunciation. Uh, hmm. Mizukon Gon. Mm. It's a, Mizugone. 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 Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Spanish pronunciation at all? Uh, not particularly. Each um, each vowel is pronounced in the same way as Spanish. Okay. Mizugone. You you pronounce like a e u e o. Those are the okay. only ways that you can say a e i o u a e a e a o u. Okay, so yeah. hang on. I'm going to give it a go. Mizukone? You're better. Yeah, Mizukone. <laughs> Mizukone. Yeah. Uh-huh, there, you uh-huh. Go. there you go. You got it. Perfect. You're pro. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Just going to learn how to do it better now. But yeah. uh, the, the So I, I just watched a video that you put up of the, the learning day. And I learned so much. So many things which were just little, uh, of course, moments, uh, like yeah. putting uh, a more sandy mix near the edge because of the, like, to reduce yeah. the shrinking. It's, yeah, that first, that's, yeah, that's the best. That's my favorite. Uh, just, I couldn't believe it. It's like, oh, well, obviously, why wouldn't yeah. you do that? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and certainly I noticed that the posture, I, that one of the things that, really got me was the size of the trowels around the border some of those were what was going on there yeah yeah so that's important because you want to control that edge so and then also um the the narrower your bevel is you're 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 creating walls that are very thin so that's part of the unique aspect of the japanese earthen wall is how thin it is like on how, average how five six centimeters 50 60 okay. millimeters is that is that 50 60 millimeters uh in total thickness as in in total yeah, ba- thickness basically. right so that's why it looks so conventional even though it's earth because it, hmm. it's got the same conventional width like from a aesthetic standpoint um yeah and that's that's because they they demand the aesthetic demands that the posts are revealed on the inside of the house and the outside of the house, 
And so how thick you can make the wall depends on how big pieces of wood you can get. And so in Kyoto, for example, those walls became thinner and thinner and thinner because it's been the capital for so long, 1,200 years, or, you know, it's been lived in for, for that long. So uh, all of the larger timber in the surrounding mountains were gone a while ago. And so they had, they, it was limit, like how large they could make the walls were limited. So there's other parts of the country where you might see 60 millimeters, um, but here you see around 50. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's a subtle difference, but it, it's big enough that, you know, the the professionals notice the difference. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so much bigger over here. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the other the other thing I picked up from that film, which I you, you sort of talked about a little bit earlier, uh, the the final finishing strokes of of the, the person doing that, and there was a just the slowest movement. Uh, it was really oh, beautiful to watch. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's so beautiful to watch. Mesmerizing. I've, I've never seen plastering that slow I think. oh yes okay now i know which video you're talking about you... yeah that one where i was like okay i'm speeding it up here because yeah. <laughs> that's it and i'm like this is the actual real speed yeah, yeah. um it no looked edit. like it been gone gone super slow motion but it was i know but that was the actual speed yeah it's incredible um so what that is it's that the trowel itself is really heavy and the the layers below are built up so that there's enough water in the final plaster that you have just barely enough time, if you're really, 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 really good, to get like one slow pass over that last that last film of a finish. It's very, very thin. Um, and what they're doing is. So let me let me try to get biological here. Um, they or is it physics? I'm not sure if it's biology or physics. There's very fine straw, right? Like 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 almost almost like dust, but but more than like a little bit more substance than than dust. Like um, it's very deliberately created straw fibers, length, thickness. Um, created just for that finish. And so you, you pass, you know, the, the finest of straw through, uh, uh, da, 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 da. like a mesh, a sieve? Mesh. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I forget English so much. Um, <laughs> through the mesh and you get rid of the, the, uh, powdery stuff. Um, and then, you kind of divide from there again into larger pieces and smaller pieces. And then you use the smaller pieces for the mizugone. And so what's happening when you're passing this very thick, heavy trowel with super diligent control over that very, very thin uh, application of plaster, you're pushing the clay platelets in while allowing the the fine pieces of 
of straw to kind of come to the surface. You don't want to push that, that straw in because then it will change the, the texture of the surface. And the texture of the surface has to be the same in every single part of the wall. If you mess it up, you have to do it again. Like if you if you accidentally push here a little bit too much, like that's it. You got to do it all over again. So um, it's a very very demanding finish. It's probably the hardest. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness! It, it makes know. what I know as plastering seem like I don't know, like just throwing mud at a wall. <laughs> that's. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's. Um, that's what's fun about it, right? Is that there's these places where the knowledge is still around where it's, yeah, it is throwing mud on the wall, but they're doing it in this, in this way that's so unique, you know? Um, yeah. It's so disciplined. It's very, very disciplined. <laughs> Goodness. It, takes, it, it is. And, you know, it's like, do, does the world need Mizugone? I don't know. You know, like, who who really needs that finish but it's fun the thing is that it, it's back when these sort of finishes were being created it was basically because the plasterers wanted to create the next best thing and they had these rich clients that wanted them to create something that nobody else had and you know these are people that started training when they were 12 13 and so by the time they're, you know, 28, 30, they've had a very long, you know, exposure experience, so many different skills that they've built up over their 15-year career by that point. Um, and they want to show that they're the best. So they want to create something that nobody else can do. But they can do it and they pull it off. And then people see it and they go, ooh, that's so cool. And they try to do it too. And then they succeed and they're like, I'm going to one-up you. And they do something else that's even harder. Um, and it is, you know, that's, that was present in the culture until probably the early 1900s. So it's not that far in the history. So they, they say that the Taisho era, which is like 1910, 1914, something around there was the heyday of plaster skills. And when it's easy to see going to different job sites, because most of the job sites I go to are restoration. There's some new builds and that's, that's where I was talking about the, the transition of, you know, getting earth on top of drywall, um, which is interesting, but even more interesting is when you go to these hundred year old job sites and you're like, what were they thinking? why do they make it so hard? You know? <laughs> like, what are they doing with these details? Like, what is this angle? Like, you have to, like, you know, break something to, to plaster this little tiny detail and or create your own trowel to, to get into that, like, little groove and angle and make it absolutely flat and build up. To, it's incredible. Like, what they were accomplishing back then is absolutely stunning. And, you know, it, it's... It's near enough in history that some of those skills still flutter around. But those guys that are in their 70s, a lot of them are taking it to their grave. Um, mm -hmm. There's, there's luckily, a few in the younger generation that will carry the mantle 
and thanks to them, it's not disappearing. Um, you know, some some people attribute the the government with having programs for cultural heritage sites and such that demand um, these traditional skills are used in order to do every restoration on the shrines or the temples or the castles, whatever it might be. Um, but a lot of times those rules are bent and they end up using some synthetic material and, and it's never the same. Um, yeah. So it's not the government that's, that's helping carry the tradition. Um, it's really, it's, it feels like almost the, uh, the excitement of the accomplishment, yeah. you know, doing yeah. something so hard and doing it and like showing other people that you did it, you know, and that's, what's cool about this social media bit that comes in is that they're egging each other on every time these guys put a post on their Facebook page they're showing their buddies around Japan, like, look what I did. You know? And other, their buddies are going, how'd you do that? <laughs> or, that's awesome, I'm going to do one-up better. You know? Like, yeah, it, it, this, this one-upmanship that's just elevating yeah. the craft. Yes, Wonderful. it's a very healthy competition. And they're good people. Like, this, and there's something about, like, you people that work with Earth that are just very fun and nice to work with so people feel that over here too excellent with um with the restoration is it if you're do you need to do a a like for like uh is that the the sort of culture for restoration yes so there's different ways of thinking about that too and sadly it's never well rarely the plasterer's decision Mm -hmm. um if the plaster has a direct relationship with the client, like Miyaoku-san is somebody who works in that way, and he, he often um, posts onto the, the Japanese plaster craft. And, you know, his, his realm of, of buddies and plasterers, I think they a lot of them have that relationship too. It's a direct relationship with the client, so um, they have a little more say in how things are done. Like the client just says, you do it, because we know you know best. Um, but sadly in Kyoto, it becomes this academic versus practitioner thing where we're told what to do and we do it by people. And the people who are telling us what to do don't always know what is best. Sometimes what they tell us inevitably fails. And then they consult the plaster and say, what should we do? And then of course the, the plaster master knows how to make it right. Um, it sounds familiar. Does except, it now? Ex- except for the plaster master bit. With, with yes. don't, I don't feel like we've got too many of those. Uh, they're, they're around, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and then you also like run down to the individual. You know, some people don't see a problem with slapping up an acrylic over earth in order to you know stay any kind of um uh like keep keep the water moisture from from getting back into the the substrate below there other people say now you've kind of messed up the whole function of the earth wall um you need to do it without that acrylic um 
but again, it's kind of whoever's the boss on the job site is going to make the decision or your boss does, or your boss tells you like, this is how I want you to do it. And so mm. that's how you do it. Um, every, every job site is different. The process at every single site, it's almost like there is no um, formula on for any given finish. Cause each time you come onto a job site, the conditions are going to be different. And so you have to adjust to what you have especially with restorations. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced like you don't, you don't know what you're getting into until you're already halfway into it. If you're lucky, like then you're like, okay, now I know what to do. Like now mm-hmm. that you, you've removed whatever's failing and until you take off that surface, you don't know how deep you need to go. And, and that's also yeah, a trick yeah. too, like learning how, how much is just the right amount to remove, not too much, not too little. Um, that's, that's also a really fun part of the training I feel is, is getting a sense and a feel for all of that so that you can be confident when you go to a new job site that's going to have its own challenges and its own unique set of uh, conditions that you have to deal with and just know that you can do it anyways. That's one thing that's really (laughs) fun about um, like New Mexico area of the US, there's a lot of Adobe houses. And like, that's, that's perfect for me. I love that. Like, that's my realm, because I know how to deal with that. Like, I know, I know how to bring those back to, to beauty, because it's, it's not so different from what's in Japan, you know, we, we take off what's failing and build it back up so that it keeps for another however many decades. And yeah, that that's, I love that um, Earth is so universal in that way. Well, I want to talk about fermenting. That's okay. That's the, the big thing in my world at the moment. Um, I've actually just yesterday set a big a big uh, uh, bin of of straw to ferment. Um, I, I mean, I'm playing around. I don't really know what I'm doing, um, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I'm. I'm really intrigued to learn more about about what it is how are you, how are you fermenting how are you uh sort of working that into your plasters so i heard you and will talking about like just um soaking the straw in water by itself mm. and what was funny to me listening to that is that i thought of the same thing when i first went back to the u.s i was like oh well why not just go ahead and soak the straw? They don't do that here. And I don't know if there's a reason. And if I started asking around, I'm curious if I would get a reason or if I just get like, I don't know. So we do, <laughs> you know, but some people might say like there, there might be an actual chemical shift that's happening or bacteria that are growing when you put the straw together with, the earth versus just letting the straw sit in water. So what, I guess the, the point of doing that would be hoping that the straw softens faster. Yeah. Softens, breaks down and kind of gets that gluey, gluey quality. And it feels Um, like the doing that in just water is more, is a quicker process than doing that together with the clay. Uh, it's purely practical for me uh, in that I am doing a job in you know another part of the country 
where my materials, my sand and my clay are being sent. I've got the straw with me uh, to to mix up all the plaster and then ship it over there. It's a more difficult thing to, to achieve. Uh, uh, I see all your materials aren't together and you can't like load up all this heavy mud and take it with you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's, that's tricky. Um, and will you pour off the water before you... I was thinking of using the water. It feels like that's going to contain a lot of the, uh, the the bits I want. But I'm not, you know, I am very much feeling my way. Uh, what, what would you think about that? I feel like I want to ask my current master because um, he actually did a study together with the university to find out what bacteria exactly are growing in this fermented plaster and is there is there something about that bacteria that's contributing to the qualities the good qualities that that we find when we do the fermentation um so i really i feel the same as you that there's something in the water that you don't want to lose you know um but i also know that uh Part of our process when we're creating this plaster, um, you know, we put this, the cut straw into the mud with the water, um, mix it around, let it sit, go back, mix it around again, add more straw. So, and as you're doing that mixing around motion, you're also breaking apart those fibers further into the mud. Um, and you don't get the chance to do that if you have your straw sitting separately from your clay and then you add it. Like it, it doesn't it's, have that. It's added and then it's mixed. So. Right. But that, that timing, that, that friction between the, the I, earth I and the yes. straw breaking apart this like this one piece. I think like, you know, one of like poetic ways of saying it is like this one piece of straw breaks into 10,000 little pieces of hair, you know, kind of um, that that sort of process might not happen as readily as if it was already inside this this mix where there's that friction happening, breaking it apart, like physically. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I did the same thing. Uh, and I can't remember why, was it just because I didn't have sifted earth to add to it i i did this thing where oh what kind of straw are you using uh barley barley straw okay because mm. um you know japan is rice and in the u.s i've used like oat and wheat that's very common um and it's so much stiffer so and it also gives off a different color and so i was somehow like had had wheat straw and then also had rice straw and I wanted to know what's the difference like with the same exact water the same exact earth like what what different um, you know uh, material will I get and I did not stick around long enough to find out the end result of my experiment oh, oh, oh the cliffhanger <laughs> I know such a bummer um but so I, I have yet to learn the answer to that question. Uh, but 
I mean, I, I think just in like logical thinking of my own logic, which probably isn't that logical, um, uh, I would probably do the same thing you're doing. Just go ahead and soak it because softening it has to be better than not softening it. I imagine barley is a rather stiff fiber. It's less less stiff than wheat. It's definitely is a it? softer, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I spoke to, uh, well, one of my episodes is with Judith Thornton, and she oh. is she tests plant materials for insulation. And we were talking specifically about building straw bale buildings. And she said, you know, if you're building with barley, don't. You know, if it gets slightly wet, it's going to decompose. So my thinking was, I want it to oh. uh, to break down. So I've gone for the the sort of less rigid straw type. I see. Yeah, that was a good hint. Was a nice... <laughs> <laughs> if it gets wet, it's going to break down. Yeah, want that for this, don't want that for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, I'm curious to know how that um, turns out. When is your project? Uh, it's in a couple of weeks. So. Okay. Well, that, I mean, I guess that leads on to my next question is uh, fermenting times. How how long are, are you leaving these, these things to ferment? Uh, it depends on the time of year. So if it's summer, um, you know, you could get away with a couple of weeks. But originally I heard... You want to do it for two years. Six months up to two years, like over winter. Like there's something yeah. about that like freeze and thaw process too that helps break things down really nicely. Um, but the, uh, I don't know how much I trust this one. This is also my my current master and his, uh, another experiment that he did at the same uni that was about this exact question. So if you have a plaster, um, what's the compressive strength of that plaster uh, when it's been fermented one week, two weeks, one month? I think that was the time frame. Um, and found that like it sort of peaked in strength at two weeks. And I'm a little bit dubious. I don't know why, because like the, you, to really find out like if the conventional wisdom is true or not, you need to have that two-year fermented stuff. Um, but you know the kind of the, the constraints of university study doesn't really allow for that, and you can't guarantee that you've got the same straw, the same earth, you know, like working in those same um, conditions. Uh, so it makes it harder to test in that way. Um, but yeah, I feel like there must be a reason why conventional wisdom said up to two years. Like in the summertime, maybe like two months, um, but then up to two years. And then there's something about like after two years, it starts to get weaker. And that's the conventional wisdom that I heard at the beginning. So yeah, it's another one of these, like there's no answer. Nobody can tell you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll just keep <laughs> feeling my way around. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because you're starting with a different straw too. So what can I possibly know? It's got different qualities than rice. It's very yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay, the, yeah. Uh, so, so you were saying that you add in straw 
and and leave it for a while and then you're adding in more mm-hmm. uh, and what 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 sort of time period is that that leaving it for a while on that first time and then how long until you're using it again Tequito. it depends yeah <laughs> It's, is that, is that your version of it depends it depends Tequito. it's uh it means like uh totally random <laughs> brilliant <laughs> yeah and like when you're told to okay um it'll depend on like when is the job you know uh when do you need to have this plaster ready um you know and then right before you use it you might add some finer chopped straw to get like the the smaller rebarbs or whatever you know equivalents mm-hmm. into the mix as well like not the not only the 10 centimeter pieces or five to 10 centimeter pieces but also like two you know one and a half two centimeter ones too um yeah it's all feel like once you get to the job site you you adjust it again to to what you want to work with mm-hmm. um yeah, and, you know, the, the boss might look at the plaster that's fermenting and see that it needs more straw, you know, or he might feel it or he might, um, yeah, poke it with a stick or with, with a, a hoe and, and then tell us to add more straw. And most of the time won't say how much we're supposed to intuit it after we work with somebody and do it like once or twice. And then um, if you're like me, you get really nervous about that. And, and, you know, after you think you have enough in there, you plop it on a hawk and then you go to one of your, you know, uh, mentors and say, is this okay? And, and they tell you yes or no, or they tell you like, quit asking me or. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, take it all very random. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us, we're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Brilliant. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> well, I guess uh, continuing on from the fermenting, what um, sort of anecdotally, what do you think uh, the difference in well, sort of not fermenting uh, and fermenting a little bit in a long time uh, so how, how do they feel in terms of application? Um, so as far as feel goes, there's probably three different ways to answer that question. And by feel, um, it's, it's slicker. More of the gluten of the straw has come out into the, the earth or like the bacteria or whatever it is that allows for this sort of slimy glide to happen. It's not really slimy, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, uh, And so in that sense, because it's, it's still hefty, it's got the straw. um, It, it just moves easier. You're able to, to work it 
much easier. The workability is better. Uh, the other aspect to it is that it's ultimately more water resistant. And Will was talking about that too. That was the part that was really exciting to hear about. Um, you know, like, oh, that's universal too. Cool. Uh, and then the other bit, and that he actually like like took a hose to it for like a super long time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so awesome to hear about. I think that's perfect geekiness. <laughs> he's so he's been working at the the brickyard for for a couple of years now, and they've essentially given him free reign to to potter around in this massive shed uh, and just oh. conduct fun clay based experiments. Wow, uh, it's. It's a joy. I've been to visit quite a few times and he's just like, oh, look at this thing I'm doing. Yeah, look at this. And I've got my, my lab over here. And Wow, that is so fortunate. And that's so cool that, um, you know, he has a platform like this and, and his own too to share all that, that he's learning there. That's, yeah, this is all the things I need to learn out in the world. In the great, <laughs> great world. Yeah. Um, and so the third aspect is actually compressive strength. It actually does become stronger, like the the university experiment, which, you know, who would ever do that? But my master is kind of a, a different sort of bloke. So uh, he did it. <laughs> and and he, there was there was somebody also geeky enough to want to know the answer, um, you know, uh, that that obliged that experiment and found that when you ferment it, it has better compressive strength. It's just, it's, it is actually, you know, architecturally stronger to, to ferment it. So there's yeah. multiple benefits that apparently happen when you ferment. Yeah. Not to mention the amazing smell. You, you like the smell, do you? Oh, it's the best aroma. That's how I knew that I was in the right place when in... A, 2007, when I walked into the doors of the Plaster Academy in Kyoto, um, it's a five-story, very narrow building, and the first classrooms aren't until the third floor, but you walk into the front, like, sliding doors, and, like, the whole smell just comes at you. I was like, I have arrived. (laughs) I knew I was in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah, I'm I'm kind of intrigued to know how it's going to go down on uh I'm, it's a very conventional build that I'm uh, I'm putting a floor into. And uh yeah, we're the sort of quirky mud installers going into that. Um so I'm intrigued to know how the other the other workers are going to take to the the aroma. I see. Yeah. Mm. That will be very fun. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was talking to, uh, well, he was actually one of my first building students uh, this morning. and we, He's been working with Will. And so he's been down this little rabbit hole of fermenting. Mm. And he was saying that uh, he's been thinking about starter cultures and using a little bit of already fermented uh, straw to to start the next batch yes 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 absolutely that's absolutely something that happens and it'll happen much faster um if you i mean it's it's rare that you use up your entire stash of plaster like for it to like end magically perfectly um and it's it's 
precious material, whatever's left over, like it, it took a while for it to reach that point. So yeah, it does become the seed, the starter culture for your next batch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's good. Good tip. I wish I'd known that maybe two weeks ago, but that's okay. (laughs) No, no, no. Now you know. And then that's it. I I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. And that, uh, that special aroma, you'll get it so much quicker. Oh, yes. Enjoy. (laughs) Well, because you asked me about the the bevel, that sandy bevel and like why the trowel is so small. And I never, I got off to another tangent and never quite answered that. So um, there's the shape, right? The shape of it is very nice for doing a small bevel. But also, um, so you have more control and uh, the amount of area that that has pressure to compress that that small area is greater. So the smaller the trowel, the more compression you get for just that exact place where you want it. That's all. Uh So around the edge, you want that nice tight compression. You do. So when you apply it, um, you don't necessarily need to put a lot of strength into it. You kind of do. And where you put the strength, it's very interesting. Um, Where you put the strength is at the butt of the trowel. So where the trowel, you don't, you don't want, to uh you don't want to cut into your wood if you cut into your wood the carpenter's going to be pissed off because that's that is essentially your finish line right like you're creating your finish line at the point where that bevel meets your wooden frame and you are going to have a much easier time plastering like filling in the the area inside the wall if your line your mud to mud line is very clean and straight there's something really nice about having a um english uh same everything being the same like having a line where it's all equal amounts of plaster going over every single part of that that edge mm-hmm. um otherwise you're having so the uni- uniformity is that what you're... uniformity yes thank yeah. you <laughs> yeah having a uniform uh amount of work that you need to do in every single part helps you to just do everything much faster and and get your job done in a timely way where you're not losing to moisture being pulled away you don't have to fuss um it, there's there's a reason for that nice clean line beyond just aesthetics. It's also very beautiful. Um, and in the plus side of that is that whoever walks on your job site is going to be like, "Ooh, it's pretty," you know. And and then you make a, a good name for your boss, and and you you've done something good. Um, but it's also functional. It also makes your job easier. So everything you do is to make the next step easier. And um, that that trowel being that small allows you the pressure to just make that bevel the exact shape and size that you need it to be for the next step to be easier. And you put a little yeah. bit of pressure up on the butt of the trowel uh, as you plaster when you're doing the application. And you'll apply, like, depending on how much thickness you need to go to get to that, because you... you, you uh, Uh, make like a chalk line or whatever Um, you make a line on the wood for you know where you want to where you want to plaster to 
and the edge of the trowel will go lightly against that line, you know, either just over it or something like that. Um, and then you'll have a little bit of pressure on the bottom butt side of the trowel to make that flat edge where it meets the, the, uh, the plaster, the, the base coat plaster. And then after it gets mm, maybe like some moments before leather hard, you go back and you actually put pressure on. And so you're, okay, you're yeah. really making like a compression action at that point, um, which I think the reason for that is to make sure that you have uh, an even line bevel. So you don't have any undulation and you can tell that your line against the wood is, is correctly flat. Because once you put a little bit of pressure, if you have any low spots, you can find them. You know, there's a feel. I don't have it, but there is a feel. <laughs> uh, Rebecca calls it the, using the force. You know, she closes her eyes. And, <laughs> you know. Oh, wow. Oh, dip there. Dip there. Wow. Turns off the lights and plasters in the dark. Exactly. Wow. That's it. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait to work with her. It's really interesting you saying about that. No, it's it's uh, evolving my idea of plastering quite a lot because I I'm conscious of smaller trowel, more pressure, uh, more you know, you uh. can push. But I've never considered it in terms of where on the the wall I'm plastering. It's it's always been about which coat. So you. Know, if I'm doing, say, plastering onto a, an uneven sort of straw bale wall, I want to be using a, a smaller plaster, a smaller trowel, where I can apply more pressure and get into uh, the holes. Yes. You know, get getting bigger. Yes. In trowel size, as I as I sort of come out to the the finish coat. Nice. But yeah, never different different parts of the wall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so many possibilities. Yeah. I'm going to need more trowels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't have too few. Um, actually, that's... Um, or too many. I can't speak English. Uh, so one of Will's questions. He was so excited when uh, when he knew we were going to be talking. He said, uh, how many Japanese trowels are essential for your toolkit? There are so many. <laughs> and is it really necessary to have them all? What If you could have like a go-to kit... Okay. Um, when I started learning at the Plaster Guild, there was four. There was four that they provided okay. you. And uh, so there was the 150, the 150 millimeters, Jigane, the, the, the iron, um, mm-hmm. and the 210 iron, and... Yanagiba. Yanagiba is it's like that triangular one. So it's sort of like a triangular shape, like pointy at the top. And that's really nice for a variety of things. You can use it for the bevel, um, but it's a little harder to, to wield and manipulate. But we would, it's also good for, um, gosh, you use it in so many things. That one and also the kimeguri, which is the, uh, it kind of looks like a, a skinny bamboo leaf, but it's longer okay. and narrower. Um, 
those four. Those four are what they provided us at the school. And yeah, those are essential. Yeah. And beyond that, um, it's very much uh, what sort of buildings are you working on? So, you know, part of the reason why we need so many in Japan is that, like, we're working on covering rafters. We're working on covering these spaces that go in from the rafters. And so we need smaller, or like inside closets and like smaller panel.、Um, or, you know, there's all these different little details that fancy carpenters like to make. And, and we just have to make their work look pretty, right? So,、um, so we have to、uh, you know, acquire our tools accordingly.、Um, But yeah, th- those four are, are essential. And, and you know, the 150 is nice because it's, it's on the smaller end. And then the 210 is nice because it's on the larger end. But if you're a big person and you're going over a large area, then you might want to scale up to like a, a 280. Usually they, they go up in,、um, or the 270, like 30. 15 millimeter increments is how they're sold. Okay. So, like 180, 185, 210, and on and on.、Um, you don't really see beyond 300 very much because that's, it's not practical.、Um, for stainless ones, then yeah, like having 270s, 300s can be good because the, the stainless ones, they're thin, right? They're meant to go over、um, thinner applications. And so, but also flat, like the whole, the whole aesthetic that's used in Japan that those things are designed for is flat. So, if you're going over something with even a little bit of undulation, you might want to go for a smaller trowel than, say, a 300, because you're going you're gonna to find that you, you miss a lot of places. Unless,、um, you know, having a, a varied texture on the wall is, is just perfect. Then you don't have to worry about that. But, and you, you can you know, go faster over whatever big wall.、Uh, walls in Western design are so much bigger than walls in Japanese design. So, yeah, where, what sort of job site you're working on is really going to determine you know, what, what set you want to have. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was thinking about the, the trowels that we have and you know, our large trowels are. Yeah, they, they're getting pretty huge,、yeah. certainly in the sort of conventional end. Yeah. It has to be so hard to hold. Yeah, and your wrist, it's so much pressure on your wrist. And, and it's, it's, that, it's that one where like, you, you hold the, the trowel and then the, the part that connects to the,、like、the plane that, that you're moving the mud with, it's up at the, the top of the trowel or the top of the handle, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's like, yeah, I've, I've deliberately avoided those because I heard they're horrible on the wrist.、Uh, the, yes, it's certainly strenuous. And I know quite a lot of plasterers who have always got a, you know, some sort of support, or、mm. um, that might be a sort of more cultural way of you know, putting as much on the trowel and trying to th- really get it on the wall as quickly as possible. Yeah.、Uh, Yeah, well, trying to make a beautiful, a beautiful product, you know, a beautiful wall. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, I've got another Will question for you. Hang on. Okay. So, so we might have we've talked about this a little bit more, but um, perhaps. Well, he said uh, here we have learned that to really compress clay plasters in every at every stage. So, mm. making sure that you're floating, burnishing. Uh, to make them more resilient against abrasion and knocks. But mm. from his, his viewpoint, it seems that the Japanese don't do this compression. Ever. And he went, and he wondered if that is because the clay plaster recipe is better or, or is it a cultural difference that uh, we treat our plasters maybe less well and we bump against them, whereas it's... Mm. That's very interesting. I don't know the whys. I don't know the reasons why. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I remember I did get to work with a Japanese master in the U.S. on uh, it was like a Japanese carpentry job site. And so I went to be his support. And it was wonderful because I got to learn from him. And so at the same time, um, on the weekends, another favorite crew of that carpenter would come on and he would bring like the, the, the foreman of that, that crew, um, he'd bring like, you know, four or five of his guys and they'd just come for the weekends just to earn some extra money. And, and they really liked working on these projects. And, um, you know, I would just like watch in awe because they would finish so quickly. And and yet Naito-san would tell me, for what we're doing, you plaster better than they do. And I, I couldn't understand why. And he said, look at the surface of of their finished product. It's so compact. It's hard. It's it's harsh on the on the senses. It it needs to it needs to be softer. Like he fuatoしてる, fuato, and and I'm like, oh okay, I guess mine has more fuat than than these, you know, guys that are like at it and they're like whoa and they're done, you know. And I'm like wow, you know, they're um, it's beautiful to watch them work, but I guess from his point of view, um, they have the habit of compressing. That's what you do. Like that is how you plaster. You use strength and you you push and you're done. And that's not how you do. And like the, the it's a soft touch. Um, even though what we were plastering was synthetic, it's this stuff called Julux, and right. um, it, it's it's weird because it's it's meant to it's meant to look like traditional earthen plaster, but it's got you know the glues in it, and you know it, it's it's fake. Um, but you can put it over conventional materials it holds up better uh, but still um, according to Naito-san when you plaster it it's a soft touch it doesn't change from how you would plaster with earth so um, it could also be that as just uh, um, so physical uh, physics at a physics level um, if you compress at each stage with earth then when you go to put the next layer up, you're layering on top of something that's not going to 
adhere so well. You, what, the, your, your next layer isn't going to adhere so well to that compressed layer underneath. So if you, if you leave it porous, if you leave each layer porous, then the next time that you plaster over it, you're going to have a better, um, yeah, better... Uh, a key. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Very, very subtle. Very, very, very subtle, but very, very real. Um, and, and also, you will, have, you will have a longer working time because since it's porous, when you go to wet it, you're going to get more water going into those pores, and that's going to help you achieve the next layer more beautifully because you'll have a little bit more working time, and that means so much when it's so freaking hot outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so there are uh, reasons. There are actual reasons now that I try to <laughs> think about it. <laughs> that's... Yeah. Um, that's interesting. The, so one thing that Will and I have done uh, with a, a backing coat, a base coat, um, is that we're compressing it with a, a sponge float, so which leaves a very open surface. Ah. Um, so there is definitely a, a consciousness not to, to close up that surface and make it you know, very smooth. Yeah, um, you've had those experiences to... But still wanting to to push on that plaster and, and compress it and why do you think that is why do you think there's that that feeling like you need to do that so the way that we've been thinking about it is that if you have a more clay rich plaster it ends up being stronger but it needs to be compressed more to stop it you know, pulling apart as it dries and maybe Pulling we're just thinking about from it. itself. Yeah, wow, yeah. So cracking. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. But I think now I'm learning more about uh, sort of the the glueyness of a fermented plaster. Maybe I'm starting to change my my thoughts on that. And are that's... you favoring doing the fermenting plaster as a base layer, or is that your final layer? Uh, do you know what? I've actually only done it in floors so it says a, a final that's right you're saying floors and that's the only place that you've done it mm. so far oh. i should, should so add. Far, so far. that's fascinating because i you know there's a an earthen floor method called kataki in japan and it's it's lime magnesium i'm gonna say the wrong word it's what's ever left in um, seawater, ocean water, after you take out the salt. So that's okay. nigari. And it's the same thing that they use for, for uh, solidifying tofu. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. There's like edible version and then non-edible version. And like the, the construction um, world gets the non-edible version. Magnesium sulfate? I, I don't think it's chloride. I think it's magnesium sulfate um that so lime earth and that and and then they compress it's not fermented but i'm intrigued by this idea of i haven't done a lot of earthen floors like as in probably like zero um <laughs> <laughs> so i without any experience but hearing a lot about it it's sort of intriguing to think about oh so do you find that that you have 
you end up with something that you're more satisfied with about the, the final product? Yes. Yeah, certainly in application, it's a more pleasant thing. It's that, that sort of suppleness. The, it's almost, uh, it's not a very nice word, it's sort of mucusy. It's, uh, you know, uh, yes, and it does seem that it's, it's stronger as well, which is uh, you know, what you're, you're saying desirable and then also that makes sense that you're compressing because it's a floor and then also that you don't want at that if, if that is that you're finished then like that's yes that's the whole yeah. thing okay so mm-hmm. yeah then of course you don't want any cracks in there and if it's clay yeah. rich, then then that makes perfect sense that you would need to do that compressing for that yeah with tataki too like it's it's a um it's kind of a play on words it means to hit tataku but then also okay. they they use Chinese characters at at their own leisure. Like nothing makes sense. So it's like you write you write the Chinese characters for three, and then peace, and then earth, and read it tataki. And there's like nowhere else in any other word in all of Japan land that reads any of those characters in that way. But I guess because there's three ingredients in harmony and it's based on earth or it's on the ground and they call it tataki. And then you're hitting it, so they call it tataki. Yeah. Um, I've, it's, it's I've seen, I was, I was asked uh, to potentially try and do one of those, those floors. So oh. I, I did some research. It was interesting. It's a, a much drier mix uh, and sort of beaten down, isn't it? Yes. And I think is it traditionally left under uh sit bamboo leaves to keep the to keep the moisture in oh that's news to me oh that's what i've read maybe we, uh-huh well maybe that was back in the fancy days we use plastic sheets now ah. <laughs> <laughs> life's moved on <laughs> <laughs> well you know we just get crasser yeah <laughs> Yeah, because I think like there's something about curing it slowly, which uh, you don't see in any other any other part of the earthen building process in Japan. Like we don't do slow cures for, for example, for the um, the lime finish. Like that's I really a, yeah. That's a, sometimes like on hot. Actually, am I am I lying? I don't think I am. Because even in hot times like this, if we had to do a restoration and do you know, that thin lime plaster. No, we wouldn't be going back and spraying it down and hoping that it cures slower. We wouldn't be. It's not It's not necessary for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's because of the inclusion of the seaweed glue. Um, kind of makes that a non-issue. Or if it's a thinness, yeah. very, very thin application. But for the floor, that's different. For the floor, they do, like, you do need to go back and wet it down and let it cure slowly. Maybe it's just because of the thickness or because it gets walked on, like a different set of needs, a different set of uh, demands that you're putting on the material. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Oh. I find it fascinating what you just said about the, the, the lime plaster. So that's sunabai? Okay, sunabai, yeah. Sunabai is, um, that, oh. that's usually used to, to build up thickness. It's not the finish. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, hang on. So, you mean uh-huh. asagi shikoi? I mean shikoi. Yeah. <laughs> I mean shikoi. 
Yeah. So, um, asagi, asagi is a blue clay. So, uh, yes, of course. So yes. asagi shikui is the white lime shikui with a little bit of blue clay in it to give okay. it that hue. Yeah. So the, the shikui, mm-hmm. uh, that's lime and seaweed and is it hemp fibers? Hemp fibers. Yeah. And so that's your, that's your sort of finish coat, uh, like an external finish coat? It is, yeah. And you can yeah. do it on the inside too. But usually if you're, you're doing it on the inside, if you're a temple. Um, but more and more houses want it as well just because it's, you know, I guess it looks like white paint, but it's natural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what, what sort of lime are you using in that? This is getting really geeky. Oh, man, <laughs> I am the wrong person to ask that question, but I know the right people. That get really geeky about it, like from that mountain, no, from that prefecture, no, from there, you know, like they, each person has their own favorite source. Um, and, you know, for example, at the company where I work, uh, we use a mixture of uh, limestone powder and shell lime powder. So, okay. um yeah, for some reason, having that shell lime powder in with the mix is they found to be desirable. You know, my my master has found that to be what what works on pretty much every uh, every job site. Now, something that started to become kind of a a topic of conversation in the last couple of years is that the lime producers are also changing generations. And so actually it's Miyaoku-san was really talking about it. He's, uh, he's the one that, that posts a lot on, on that Japanese plaster craft group. And he's in Nara Prefecture and he's been making his own lime for his whole plastering career. And it's just these last couple of years that even though he's using the same exact recipe, it's not coming out the same. So what's changed? You know, is it the water? It's not the hemp fibers. You know, don't think it's the seaweed, the quality of the ocean. It seems to be that, which, you know, is an interesting thought. It's like, hmm. um, <laughs> there's a lot of pollution. There's, there, there is, you know, who knows what all the, those butterfly effects are. Um, yeah. But, uh you know, he's pretty convinced, and I've heard other people say the same, that the lime is being produced just enough differently that their go-to tried-and-true recipes aren't working, and they're having to readjust, and that's a bummer. Yeah, so I can't answer your question. That was a long way to say it. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. You you gave way more in that answer than, uh, <laughs> than just saying, we use this. Yeah. That's yeah, really fascinating that that you know gentle sort of knock-on effect, um, and I, yeah, I wonder how how differently they're making it. That's uh, that's upset this this craftsperson's uh, yeah you know, tried and like, tested. Yeah, like the burning the te- burning temperature might be different, or the time the amount of time they're mm. burning might be different the amount they're burning compared to the temperature and time might be different um the change of hand i wonder if they just just switched fuels or something like that, that and that altered altered all of those things i wonder yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if it's something that people are observing across all companies. Um, yeah. And, and it's also uh, kind of going back to that um, heritage tradition. One of the bosses I worked with here, he's, his viewpoint is just so spectacular to me. Um, he says it's not restoration unless you're using the same materials. And that means sourcing those materials from the place that they came from at the time that they were first used. Now that's a really tall order because those mines and sites are gone in most cases. But when you can get that material, he said it's really, really important that you one support that, that mine site because they've, definitely lost especially with Lyme they've definitely lost clientele and are struggling and if you're really trying to you know keep the right color keep the right hue keep the right texture then you need and your restoration job demands that like you're it's a world heritage site then of course you need to keep it looking the exact same that it did at its original that's the material that you need to be using um so I, I'm fascinated by that way of thinking about it and and it's like well but of course you know? <laughs> yeah it's like yeah that that makes absolute sense yeah. yeah you get down there and start mining some out yourself if they've uh, they've closed for business it's, yeah it's got to be probably would be the right send the new hirees to go out and dig <laughs> and then pulverize <laughs> all day long that's what the young ones are oh. for yeah, that's it. That's why you get them so young. That's right. <laughs> that's wonderful. I mean, I've I feel like I mean I've taken up a lot of your time. Um, Likewise, I, I, I need to plug my computer in. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wondered if there was anything that you wanted specifically to talk about. Uh, I wanted to talk about the old guys. I covered them. Oh, the new guys. Let's talk about the 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 newer okay. guys too because that's that's what i wanted to um touch on in the, in the book that i produced last year which uh i self-published that not through amazon because i have a wicked hatred for amazon i don't have Good. anything against other people who who use it everybody has their own choice but i didn't want to use them again and um even though i'm eternally grateful for the the platform that they gave my book I didn't have to think about it like it just went on its own way um that first one um but so it so what I did last year was self-published and I only made you know so many copies um hopefully I'll find an actual publisher that that can set it out and I'm waiting to hear back but corona time has has uh, put everything on a dawdle pace um mm -hmm. But so what I wanted to show in that book was that this is very much a craft that has a future. There are people in younger generations, like I made a point of focusing on people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that are doing this craft. Um, and also, uh, it's mostly a picture book because I wanted to show the job sites the conditions of the job sites and the posture. It's one of those, like the longer you look at it, the more you see sort of things. If, if you're a craftsperson, 
I think if you're an academic, you might not, you know, catch all that as much, which I learned, you know, from from that first publishing, um, that it was people who are, you know, handy that really were like, oh, what's happening here? You know, and um, that was really fun to to witness. Um, yeah, so I I really want people to know that utilize social media to to learn more about this craft. Like there's so much more out there that even I realize. Like I love that that Facebook group because I learn so much, you know, through other people that are, you know, keying into to what all information is out there, what other posts people are putting out there. Um and uh thanks to that information, like it's not going to go anywhere, you know, like the, the younger generations are interested, they do see the value. And as, as we share at a global level, the value of these natural materials, like it's not, it's not some, it's not just, you know, just because it's this material, there's, there's a meaning behind it, there, there's a, a thought process about longevity of the building and also humanity. <laughs> In, in the choices that are being made for these materials. Um, as Japanese start to understand that piece and the value of their craft in that framework, they're going to start honoring their tradition even more, I feel. So it's kind of happened with macrobiotics, macrobiotic food. Um, it was... It's a, you know, born in Japan thing, but it wasn't until Madonna got a macrobiotic chef that it ever became a word that people in Japan know. <laughs> no one in Japan knew about it until Madonna was like, I have a macrobiotic chef. And they're like, ooh, macrobiotics, Japanese. And, and this is reverse export, import, reverse import. Um, and I really believe that this craft can can follow that pattern. So we need Madonna yeah. to to plaster uh, yeah. her house and play. Is that yeah. the... Absolutely. Get Miao-san and like the other people to get out there, send his, send his crew that worked on the, uh, the five-tier pagoda at Yakushiji to, to go plaster house for Madonna. Then everything <laughs> will be set right. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've I've had Thank just you. like the most wonderful time. Me too. Yeah, this is like I can't believe we have been talking for so long. We have. Yeah. It's and I, I can't wait to to go back through your archives, um, and and learn so much more. And and from here on too. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Excellent. Thank you so much, Emily. That was genuinely an absolute joy. I feel like my understanding of plastering has just significantly leveled up. And yeah, I've got a hundred more questions that I could ask you. Um, There'll be links for various stuff. Uh, I'll get them up on the website as soon as possible. Uh, Do check back if they're not up instantly. Uh, I'm kind of committed to getting this out on Monday morning. Um, but I'm also committed to having some sleep. So I will probably do that. (laughs) Okay, no more ramble. Until next time, see you soon.